Hello! You're plugging in to the Evolution Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share with you another awesome message from Pastor Charmaine. Have an awesome day. We'll see you at church. The title of my message is Color My Perception. There's a fun little story about my dad that I love, and it's about how he discovered that he was actually colorblind. Now, nowadays, colorblindness is something all of us get tested for as kids, right? But many moons ago, when my dad was growing up, it wasn't a test that people ordinarily did. So my dad went through life all of his childhood and most of his teenage years never being aware that he was colorblind. Till one day in an art class, he was painting a picture of a forest and his teacher comes over and says, Hey, that's a nice picture, but why are you painting all the trees in brown and red? Is it because you're painting autumn? And that was the day my dad discovered that he was colorblind. Now, I found a picture of what most of us see versus what my dad probably sees, and this is what it looks like. Whoa! So one of the things I keep asking him is this, Pop, you know, what actually are you seeing when the rest of us are seeing green and red? He always laughs and says he doesn't know, and I will go on to say, but Dad, how do you differentiate between the traffic lights when you are driving? How do you know that red is red and green is green? And he always gives me the same answer, that he probably just grew up labeling certain shades of color red and other shades of color green. And that became what he knew. That became the default visual language of how he moved through life. I think you can tell where I'm going with this, right? For today's message, I want to talk about our default operating systems, our internal values, mindsets, the conscious or subconscious beliefs or patterns, or even worldviews with which we see the world and with which we move through life. And I want to challenge each of us here to really make mindfulness and reflection our lifestyle. Whether it's our relationship with God or the ways in which we approach life and our careers and callings, I want to make evaluating our habit so that wrong or bad defaults don't become the invisible drivers of our outcomes. So the passage I have for you today is Matthew 7, verse 13 to 15. It says, Go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad, and the road wide. So many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road difficult, so few people find it. The most common interpretation of this passage is that Jesus is talking about heaven or hell. If we live the easy life of sin, we go to hell. If we live the difficult life of purity, we go to heaven. If we live the broad way of worldliness, the result will be destruction. But if we live the narrow, sacrificial way of service to God, the result will be eternal salvation. But guys, is this really what this verse is about? Or has that become our default interpretation? You know, maybe the first time you heard this verse preached, that was what someone, maybe even me, told you that it means. Maybe it's because you've grown up being taught to be servant-hearted in the evolution. So it's become a rooted part of your values. And so when you read this verse, your mind skips straight to radical sacrifice. 
Or maybe right this moment, you are someone struggling with worldliness and selfishness. And so the moment you read this verse, a deep groan comes out of you. Here we go again. When others can, I cannot. The road to a significant life is so, so hard. But here's the thing though, okay? You know the word life in this verse? Now it could mean everlasting life, meaning eternal life, but it also could mean life in terms of human flourishing. Which is what Jesus meant when he said, man cannot live, in other words, man cannot flourish on bread alone. You know, it's what Jesus meant when he said, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. To cut to the chase, listen, the word life does loosely encompass the idea of eternal life in heaven. But it actually also lands pretty heavy on the idea of experiencing human flourishing, the good and abundant life here and now. So this passage isn't so much about what gets us to heaven or gets us to hell as is what is commonly held. It's actually a lot more about assessing what is helping or hindering us from living into the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us? Yeah. I assume that's what all of us wants, right? Even if you're not a Christian and you're tuning in today, we want to live eternally in heaven if there is such a place. And I believe there is. But we also want to flourish in this life here and now. We want both. I mean, come on, hands up over here. If that is you, I want both. Woo! All right then. So here are some of my personal reflections of late about Matthew 7, 13 to 15. And the first is, what you already know is coloring your perceptions and actions. You know, let me repeat that. What you already know, your pre-existing knowledge, your pre-existing beliefs, values, experiences, good and bad, even your past revelation from God, even they are right now, right in this moment, coloring your perception of reality. Now, whether that's of yourself, your own self-image, whether it's your perception of other people in your life, or right now, how you read your, your school or your career and how it's going, these things are coloring your perception of what it is and how those things are doing your life and therefore coloring your actions and response to life. Now, I know right now, right, it's not that you are sitting here going, uh, Pastor, what is perception? Well, perception in scientific terms is how our brain in all its intellect, emotion, and relational aspects, how our brain is interpreting reality. Reality being what we see, what we feel, you know, how we look at a situation or our relationships. Perception is interpreting these things. Yeah. Yeah. So let me explain, right? In 2015, there was this huge controversy that erupted on the internet when a bride-to-be posted a picture of a dress that her mother was going to wear to her wedding. And she posted this dress and she asked people to tell her what color the dress was. Is it blue and black or white and gold? Ooh. Some of you are looking very confused right now. Listen, this picture became known as the dress that melted the internet. 
It went viral on social media, was featured as a hot topic on nearly every news outlet. People, politicians, celebrities were all weighing in and getting into humorous arguments with each other. And it left the world asking a really age-old question. Why is it two human beings can look at exactly the same thing and walk away with such different perceptions of reality? Now, in case you're wondering, it turns out, scientists explain that every human being has a certain number of RGB photoreceptor cones in our retinas. I know only the service source people know what I'm talking about right now. And depending on how many of each of these red, blue, green photoreceptor cones we have, that is our default color setting. And you will either, according to that, perceive the dress in the photo as white and gold or blue and black. And no one would have ever been the wiser until confronted with someone else's alternative interpretation. You see, most of the time, none of us consciously controls our perception. We have certain defaults, and those default settings control our perceptions of reality and therefore our actions. And rightfully so. I mean, can you imagine if we had to deliberately break down every part or everything or every person or every encounter in our day to stop and interpret every minor event in order to decide on a corresponding action? You will literally have a mental breakdown. <laughs> so our brains have this inbuilt ability to create an automated flow. Once it collects a certain amount of information, it doesn't always have to be very much, it creates a default system so that 99% of our thoughts and actions during a day can run on autopilot. In a split second, our brain interprets our reality and how to respond to that reality. And listen, that's great because there are obvious pros to defaults, right? Defaults can save you time and energy. Defaults can reduce anxiety, allow energy to go to more important things that are happening in our life. But if you don't at least occasionally go back and assess and update your defaults, some of those defaults that once saved you trouble can become defaults that rob you of life. You see, God has designed each of us for life. His will is for all of us to experience the abundance of that life. God has designed the human race for life. And his desire for us, all of us together, is to experience the full potential of our collective existence. But what is it that hinders our potential? Listen, it is not your design, but your defaults. You know, for all the youth here, I want to share with you the story of one of our rising leaders in church, and his name is Ryan Ng. Ryan is 19 years old this year, and he is currently our sound ministry leader in training and a volunteer staff. Recently, he received a bursary to go to NAFA to do a diploma in arts management. And guys, we're just so proud of him because of that. But what we're most proud of him for is that in the last one, two years, he's grown into a confident and capable leader. And we're finally watching him really live into God's design for his life. Because you know, when Ryan first came to church, it didn't always look like it was going to go that way. He came to church when he was just 11 years old. Oh. Now, I have to be honest, right? It was really challenging mentoring Ryan. 
because at first he started off as a really a little bit lazy, actually very lazy little boy. And it seemed that, you know, as he grew, he became really insecure because of the stigma that youth in normal tech and ITE fail. But all this time, me, myself, his leaders, we had this knowledge that he had tremendous potential. We knew he was intelligent, but for whatever reason, school had not engaged him properly. And we knew that he had the potential to be a great and wise leader under pressure. But his life would always go in this pattern as a teenager. He would rise, then he would drop back down. He would rise, and then he would drop back down. He would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Because every time God or leaders would speak into his life, he would rise. But then his defaults, his belief that he wasn't intelligent, his mindset that he couldn't make it as a leader would keep dragging him back down. And so even though I knew he was designed for a greater purpose, you know, for a long time, I worried that Ryan was not going to make it. Because no matter how well he did, no matter how much progress he made, he could never 100% believe that it was him, that he was intelligent, that he was a competent leader. But thank God, this guy, no matter how many times he got knocked down, he would keep coming back up, keep running to God. And in the last one, two years, we've suddenly seen him break through as a leader in church. He started to realize that having gone to ITE does not mean he's not intelligent. He started to realize that he is smart and a great problem solver under pressure. And today, he is fast rising in church and leading and investing in other youth. Let's give him a big hand. All of us live with defaults that we need to take time to question. You know, and defaults that are not to be confused with our design. So sure, God has designed you, young person, young adult, in a certain way, with a certain personality, with certain gifts, with certain abilities. But you are also a human being that has inherited and cultivated certain defaults that are currently limiting the potential of your design. I mean, have you ever had a situation where your incredibly advanced and expensive iPhone isn't working to its fullest potential? when certain apps start hanging or certain features aren't working properly. You know, it's always because either there's some corruption in the system and you need to do a reset, or your OS isn't properly updated, or the new OS you just installed has a flawed update. (laughs) So those are the effects of problem defaults in our lives. Some of them can cripple you. Some of them in the long run could even kill you. Some of them probably won't, but they will limit you, stopping you from experiencing the fullness of God's design. You know, it could be the default came from something someone said to you when you were growing up, a negative family environment where people didn't believe in you or piled their drama on you. It could be the school you went to where the culture was fear and everything was cutthroat and competitive and shame-based. You know, it might have been the thought patterns you chose to reinforce all the youth here during your sad boy hours. <laughs> my life is so sad. I'm so sad. My future is so sad. Oh, listen, we all have certain problematic defaults that we need to get rid of. These defaults might be a version of your broad gate and wide road 
that leads to destruction. I mean, think about it, right? What are broad gates and wide roads for? In today's context, broad gates and wide roads are for people to travel fast. So in our personal lives, these are like the unchecked highways of our mind where your default patterns are allowed to move at 200 kilometers an hour fast and furious without any stop signs to slow them down. And so they are unconsciously dominating our perception and ruling our actions, keeping us from being who we want to be, keeping us from the relationships and significance we want to experience. And in the context of larger humanity, it keeps us from changing the way things are to the way things could be. Listen, never let the broad way be the default way you move through life because that is the road that potentially leads to destruction. Which brings me to my second point. Point number two, what you don't reflect on becomes the liability you live by. Have you ever wondered, how is it that Christians who are supposedly praying and loving God and on fire can be so destructive towards people and towards themselves? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about or hinting at, go read last week's news. <laughs> you know, when you're in an environment like the evolution, because we have an environment where certain values and culture are raised, it becomes easy for most of us to spot Christians who are out of their mind. Our values, which are mostly good and progressive, I hope, you know, it creates a pretty great starting default for you when you first join our fam. So immediately, we perceive Christians who support Trump as off their rocker. We immediately know Christians talking 666, oh, the government is thinking of giving us digital forms to contact trace, it's the devil. Ridiculous. <laughs> Not because you know the Bible well but because we've helped create a good enough starting default in your life. I don't know whether you just caught my shade right there, all of you who are not reading your Bible. It's not because you're reading the Bible. (laughs) So, So we have these Christians, right, who supposedly pray all the time, who love God's Word, who are on fire for church. Well, guess what? You know, the Pharisees prayed and supposedly knew God's Word. In fact, these were the people, the religious leaders that Jesus himself was throwing shade at in Matthew 7. But listen, looking at all this stuff, it's often made me ask myself, you know, God, what is the defining difference? God, how can I make sure I'm not the one who one day becomes a Pharisee? You know, if it's not pray more or read the Bible more, then what is going to work so that you know, I find a narrow way to life so that, you know, I find my way to you. You know, how am I supposed to do this when God, it, it, like there is no proper to-do list to overcome the power of defaults that literally color my perception and even the way I read the Bible. Yeah. Well, remember what I mentioned earlier, that maybe this verse is not about what we need to do to get eternal life or a successful life but that it's about the mechanisms we need to put in our lives, you know, mindfulness in place so that we can really discern what God's will is. Well, listen to the very funny message Bible version of the same verse. It says, Don't look for shortcuts to God. 
The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Oh, come on, someone say attention. Attention. We all want shortcuts. We want surefire ways to be right with God and to get our ticket into heaven. We want efficient ways to the good life here and now. Whether it's, you know, only wanting to come to church because we give you a summary of self-help info so that you can get successful at work faster, or it's theology about prayer that is pray your way into blessing. Guess what? Those things that seem good or are actually somewhat good can become the same defaults that keep you from God's best life. You see, guys, ultimately, what is prayer really? If prayer were just stirring up your positive thinking or presenting your shopping list for your career to God, I'd really question the idea of prayer. You know, when we think of prayer like that, that is really thin theology. The only thing narrow and difficult about that sort of relationship with God will ever be Oh, damn, man, it's so hard to find time to pray, man, pastor. Oh, shucks, pastor, you know, I feel so sleepy whenever I pray. I mean, what a difficult life following Jesus is. Always have to pray, always have to read the Bible. (laughs) That is the extent of your persecution and challenges. (laughs) Listen, prayer is so much deeper than that. Prayer exists for us to get transformed in our faith and confidence when we pray strong when we reflect on what it means to lean into God's person and His promises and His vision of who we are. We get changed in our convictions and our perceptions of our situations when we come before God with openness, letting Him speak and letting Him lead our thoughts. Now that, what I just said, is the real challenge of praying and reading your Bible. Reflecting and wrestling with the parts of of God that are hard and difficult and we can't understand, that is the real, narrow and difficult way. Not, you know, do not let prayer become our shortcut to blessings and success, but to let prayer be our transformation so that who we are, our perceptions and our actions begins to change. And it is out of that, that we move out of the broad way and into the real way of life. So personally, can I say this? This has always been the hardest challenge for me as a mentor. To help youth and young adults, and now adults, we have many of you now, cultivate true mindfulness and self-awareness. Habits of realization in your walk with God so that your defaults do not become your liabilities. Listen, praying strong is easy. Teaching you to come up with prayer request lists and to run a prayer meeting is easy. Teaching leaders to preach is not that easy, but okay, easy. You know, teach members to prophesy and move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, easy. But teach someone to make pausing and reflecting a lifestyle in this world that is so fast-paced and always profit-driven and always chasing the next goal after the next goal, to regularly get you to stop and question your defaults, to, to question your broad highways and shortcuts, Man, let me tell you, that is hard. Hard for me to do, also hard for me to cultivate in you. And that's what makes the Broadway easy. 
Not because the Broadway is about sin and worldliness. Actually, if you think about this, sin and worldliness is not easy. I mean, sin and worldliness is basically in its extreme form a life of recklessness and consequences. Brokenness and pain, struggling alone to recover from that pain. You know, being rich without friends is lonely and hard. So really, sin is not that easy. So I don't think sin is about the broad and easy way. I think what the broad and easy way is about is really about the defaults we live into without a second or third thought. And that is what leads to destruction. And that is why all of you here, I want to encourage you, even though you're young and I know you want to do stuff, you want to get out there, you want to try things, but right now, you must cultivate mindfulness. You know, it's frustrating because it feels slow. It's frustrating because it feels inefficient. But cultivate it, you must, because that is the only way to life. You see, I suspect that's what went wrong with the Pharisees and what goes wrong with fundamental Christians today. It's not that the Pharisees didn't go to the synagogue or temple to pray. It's not that fundamental Christians don't intend enough Bible studies or lessons on how to move in the Holy Spirit. The problem is they never cultivated a mechanism of entering through the narrow gate. They simply let the highway of their religion, the fast and furious highway of their worship songs and moving in the Spirit, their vision of taking the world for Jesus Christ, overtake them. And before they knew it, they were on their way to destruction. Not necessarily a destruction that leads to hell. Let me be very careful how I say that. But I certainly think, oh man, you better start being careful because the destruction of your life here and now might actually eventually lead to the loss of true life and eternal life. You know, I think this is also what happens with so many youth and young adults in contemporary and happening churches like ours. We get caught on the highway of a self-help gospel, a gospel of personality tests and obsessions with what is my gift and what is my calling and how am I going to reach success. And again, all these are good. They're not necessarily evil, but they are not the mechanism of the narrow gate. You see, let me emphasize one more time in case you're not catching me here in this very complex philosophical sermon. The narrow way is not just servanthood. It is not just sacrifice. Oh, I must lose myself to follow Jesus. No. The narrow way is being evaluative of what defaults are driving you. About, you know, what you're living out consciously, unconsciously, subconsciously. You know, even if it's good, even if it came from a place of formal revelation from God, what has become your shortcut and surefire way, you know, that you are no longer, you know, living and giving uh, room and attention to God to hear what He has to say. You see, Matthew 7, 14 in the Message Bible says, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires attention. And that's what I love in the Message Bible. You know, it doesn't define this verse as the way to life being a particular checklist of rituals or rules or behaviors. It just says the way to life requires attention. The narrow way is giving attention. You know, to the young adults and adults here, I want to encourage you, give your way your attention. Because what you are not attentive to is becoming your default and possibly your liability. 
You know, time and time again, I see how praying and reading the Bible does not make Christians good people. I see how going to church regularly does not necessarily make Christians whole people. I've seen how coming to the evolution does not in itself make people more generous, more inclusive, or less proud, or less worldly. Those breakthroughs and transformations belong only to those who give their way, their defaults, attention. What you don't stop long enough, hard enough to reflect on, becomes your liability. But if you give your way, attention, you will find true life. And finally, be mindful of who and what you plug into. It determines the condition of your soul. By now, I don't think I need to stress the importance of the health of our souls. I've quoted this verse to you one too many times. 3 John verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Our inner person, our inner operating system has such a power over how we experience the fullness of life, the state of our spirit, the state of our mental health and our emotional life, the state of our values and patterns. You know, and, and I want to stress once again, you know what, I need to say this again, Matthew 7 is not simplistic. The broad way to destruction is not as simple as money or success or sin or no sin. I'm not saying those aren't factors, but they aren't factors in simplistic ways. For example, money can buy a roof over someone's head, better healthcare, a good education. Having money gives you the opportunity to be generous in large-scale ways instead of only small gestures. Both are equally impactful, but both have different reach. Watching shows where people swear more might make you swear more too. But those same shows might teach you lessons about life and compassion and empathy that no cheesy Christian film or overly dramatic YouTube clip could ever accomplish. God, I hope some Christian hears this right now. <laughs> Let me show you what comes after Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14. After broad is the way to destruction, narrow the way to life, comes verse 15. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds, or do they get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruit. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. You see, who we plug into matters. What we plug into matters. They determine not just our defaults, but our operating systems. So Jesus says, be careful, be discerning. There are people and things in this world that seem good, but they are actually really bad. 
There's a Christianity out there that says, Lord, Lord, and prophesies and casts out demons and does miracles and yet does not truly know Jesus. Jesus says the litmus test is, number one, you'll know them by their fruit. Good or bad is evidenced by the outcomes. But then Jesus complicates this same passage more by talking about good outcomes. Outcomes like prophecy, like demons being cast out, like miracles. I mean, seriously, guys, think about this for a moment, right? Is deliverance from evil ever a bad thing? All healing and miracles, can they ever truly be a bad thing or a bad fruit? I mean, that's a good outcome, right? And yet, if you dig deeper, Jesus says, there'll be some people who do things that look great, but they don't truly know me. Listen, none of us can disengage from people and the world around us. No matter how hard we try, there will always be toxic people and toxic situations. But we can choose who we plug into on the regular. We can choose the extent to which we engage with these things, the degree to which we allow these people and systems in. So this verse is not about engaging or disengaging from the world like a lot of Christians do. No, I think Jesus is actually saying, just develop a good filter. Develop a mindful and reflective and evaluative habit. Friend, listen, just be mindful of who and what you plug into because it determines the condition of your soul. Curate the roads and pathways and gates to your soul. You see, Matthew 7, right, it's not just about roads, broad roads or narrow roads. It's also about broad gates and narrow gates. So it's not just about curating the highways of our souls to make sure it doesn't color our perception and actions. You know, the way to life is about curating the gates to our souls and our operating systems. It's about how we engage with our who's and our what's. So, for example, when we engage with God, it's not just plugging into God that matters, it's how you plug into God. You know, are you consistently connecting to Him? Or are you connected only when you have to or need to? And when you pray and worship, what is the quality of how you pray and worship? And when you read God's Word, are you reading it? Or is the Bible reading you? And when you connect with people and things in this world, it's not, oh, Christian good, non-Christian bad. Oh, PG-13 good, RA bad. Listen, you and me, we each have to figure out which people and which things to let in that leads to life. Or which part of people and which part of things to let in that leads to life. We each have to be discerning, selective, in order to flourish. We each need to narrow our gate so that only certain people and certain things get let in. So everyone here, will you be careful with what you allow into your soul? Because it will color your perceptions and actions. It will create defaults that either become your liability or your prosperity. So today, I want to challenge you. Make a decision to be mindful, to be aware, to be reflective. Amen. Yeah.